Hello, listeners. My name is Pietro, and welcome to another episode of the LSU Focal Point podcast. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Erica Leslie from Goldman Sachs. Erica is the firm's chief administrative officer. She serves as co-chair of the Partnership Committee. She's a member of the Management Committee, Enterprise Risk Committee, and Global Inclusion and Diversity Committee. She's also a firm-wide champion for Launch with GS, Goldman Sachs' commitment to investing in companies and investment managers with diverse leadership. Prior to her current role, Erica was Global Head of Operations and Platform Engineering for the Global Markets Division. Erica joined Goldman Sachs as an associate in the Finance Division in 1996. In 2001, she transferred to the Technology Division and assumed responsibility for commodities technology. In 2006, Erica was named Global Head of Currency and Commodities Technology. In 2008, she transferred to the Operations Division to lead global operations for the commodities business. In 2018, Erica was named Global Head of Operations for the Securities Division. She was named Managing Director in 2006 and Partner in 2012. Erica serves on the board of the National Organization on Disability. And Erica earned her BA in Accounting and Finance from the University of Albany. Erica, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for even joining us in the first place. It's an absolute honor to have you. So uh, with that introduction, of course, that's from my perspective from the outside. I totally didn't take it from your company's resources. Thank you for that. Uh, but uh, I wanted to really just ask you from your perspective, right, uh, after me giving that introduction, if you could tell us more about your career journey and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, um, I'm really happy to be with you today and with all your listeners. Thank you for having me. Um, so I... Uh, graduated, as you said, from uh, the university at Albany. So um, it, that is a state school for those of you who are, are outside of the United States or not from the United States. It's a state school in the New York um, public school system. Uh, and it's located about two and a half hours north of New York City. Um, and I grew up in a town uh, very close to where I went to college. And uh, when I graduated, it was <clears throat> it was December of 1992. So I was supposed to graduate in May of 92, but I changed my uh, major um, and changed schools. And so I, I graduated a semester late. And so when I was graduating, it wasn't uh, a normal it, it, within the normal cycle of when companies hire people. Um, so there were there were fewer jobs, um, and it was also the middle of a recession. And so I tried to get I was an accounting major. I tried to get a job at Ernst and Young, which was the only big six at the time accounting firm in Albany. Um, and uh, I did not get that job. And so um, Deloitte and Touche came on campus, and I I interviewed for uh, a job at Deloitte and Touche. And um, my parents weren't very excited about the prospect of me uh, moving to New York City and working in New York City. I was a small town girl um, and, uh, and, and never really traveled. And so um, I took it upon myself to uh, go to New York City without their knowledge um, and interviewed for the job um, and got the job. And uh, on the way on the way home, um, I ended up in a car accident with a cement truck, and that's how my parents found out about the fact that I had gotten a job working for Gillette and Touche in New York oh. City. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. So funny, funny story. Um, I came to New York um, a little bit against initially against my parents, um, my parents' uh, uh, desires and wishes for me. Um, but I quickly, you know, I, I, I quickly moved. I, I, I think I got the job offer in December. I started um, in New York City in January of 93. 
I was in the World Trade Center on the 97th floor working for Deloitte and Touche. And about a month into um, my job at Deloitte and Touche uh, was the first bombing in the World Trade Center. So, and we just recently had the anniversary of that. Um, and uh, I was on the 97th floor, no elevators were operational. So we walked down 97 flights of stairs. It took many hours, three or four hours. It was completely dark. Um, there, there was no accessibility back then. So there were people in wheelchairs, we had to carry them down. It was very traumatic. And I walked um, from my office uh, to the train, got on the train and went home. Uh, and uh, ultimately ended up to a couple of months later moving uh, to upstate New York, leaving New York City altogether and working for a small tax consulting company. And um, probably a year and a half later, a good friend of mine who was a headhunter called me and said he was starting his own company and uh, he needed some resumes and uh, he wanted my resume to demonstrate that he knew some people. And um, I didn't want to give him my resume because I did not want to move back to New York City. And I told him uh, so. And he called me a few weeks later and said, you're not going to believe this, but I got you an interview at Goldman Sachs. And it's really hard to get an interview there. And I said, that's fantastic. What's Goldman Sachs? So I had really very little knowledge of financial services at that uh, point. I was I was living you know, in upstate New York. Um, and I came down back down to the city um, and decided to take the job with Goldman Sachs working in the commodities business um, as an analyst. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, I started uh, in the commodities business as a financial analyst. I then moved into technology um, as a project manager. Uh, and then ultimately I ended up running uh, the, uh, the software development team that supported the commodities business. And I spent probably eight years, <clears throat> eight years um, in technology, running first, uh, you know, being first a project manager, but then managing the developers um, first for the commodities business and then for the foreign exchange business. And then in uh, 2008, um, right before the financial crisis, uh, the person who was running operations for the commodities business left the firm and I raised my hand to go run operations um, for commodities. So up until that point, this was 2008, I had started in uh, 96. Um, I had been exclusively working uh, with our commodities business, albeit in you know, different capacities. Um, and then when uh, we became a bank holding company uh, during the financial crisis, my boss, who is now the CEO of Boney, um, his name is Robin Vince, called me and said, I would like for you to um, run our equity derivative operations and also build a risk management framework for operations now that we're a bank holding company. And he said, you know, we really need to figure out whether or not you can do anything other than commodities. <laughs> so that was a bit of a test. Um, and I spent uh, probably two, two and a half years readying Goldman Sachs to be um, regulated by the Fed and be a bank holding company. And there was a lot of um, uplift that needed to happen to our processes and to our risk management framework. And um, so I did that for a couple of years. And then um, eventually I became the head of operations for our, whole, for our securities division. It was called at the time. Today it's called global banking and markets, but that's really our institutional um, broker dealer. We do operate out of the bank now as well, but at the time it was it, it was a it was a broker dealer. And I did that job um, for 
three years, four years. Um, I eventually ran both operations and engineering together. And then uh, last February, I became the chief administrative officer of the company. Congratulations right there. And that is a story and a half. I mean, the only part I can relate to there is being rejected by Ernst & Young. I got rejected <laughs> recently. So <laughs> there you go. Personally, I'm a management student or business management student. And sometimes I'm lumped in with business administration students, right? Even though we're not strictly the same thing, right? So for example, in, in corporations, you have the chief administrative officer, as you are, and you also have the COO, which is the uh, chief operating officer, right? So that's when I try and explain the differences between the two. I say, you got the CAO, you got the COO, and you got business management, and you got business administration, right? So using that sort of analogy, right? Um, could you explain what your role as CAO, as CAO is, uh, particularly at, G at Goldman Sachs? Yes. And um, I guess the first thing I would say is, I think it's important to create frameworks for how you think about certain roles. And, um, you know, so putting boxes around roles and responsibilities oh. is an important thing to do when you think about what you want to specialize in. But the real world doesn't really operate that way. And so there's, you know, I, I veer into the COO category probably oh. more often than, um, than not. Uh, and the reason that is, is because there's a very tight connection between the CIO role and the COO role. Um, and, you know, a good example of, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for operations broadly defined for Goldman Sachs. So what does that mean? That's everything from the building operations. It's, you know, people that are processing trades and transactions and making payments. It's the regulatory environment. It's operational risk. It's the, the resiliency of our business and our technology. Um, so it, it really cuts across everything that we do. And when you look at that and you compare that to what the COO thinks about, so John Waldron is our president and COO, he thinks about a lot of the same things. And so, um, you know, I kind of think of myself as his, his, his COO is, uh -huh. is kind of a way to think about it. He's got a very broad job. He's the, both the president and the COO. Our CEO is also the chairman of our company. And so they're they're playing bigger roles than maybe what is traditionally defined as a COO or traditionally defined as a CEO. And so what that means is that I, you know, supplement from an execution standpoint everything that it is that they're trying to do strategically. Um, and so my job is, you know, quite diverse in terms of, you know, where I get involved and the kinds of things that I do. Um, but it's also fairly well defined in terms of the things that I'm responsible for because we're a bank, we're a, you know financially important, we're um, systemically important financial institution, um, and so there's regulatory requirements associated with that. There's ways in which banks organize themselves, um, and uh, so I have a certain definition of things that I must uh, you know deal with, think about, and lead. And but then there's a, a lot of other things that you know John's trying to achieve strategically that I also get involved in. So when I have other speaker guests come in, they typically have a lot of experience within the same or equivalent role, but at a, at a variety of different shops, right? However, your profile is different to those ones because uh, I, I see it as almost opposite, right? You've been with GS across a variety of roles instead of a variety of shops. And I wanted to ask, what was it that made you decide to stay? 
Yeah, and I, I'm asked this question a lot, and I, you know, my my short answer is uh, it's the culture of the company that attracted me. It's the culture of the company that has kept me, um, and uh, you know, the the company's evolved too. It's it's changed very dramatically from what it looked like when I joined in 1996. And the one thing about the culture that I I, well, there's two things about the culture that I really appreciate and that has really kept me here. The first is that it truly is a meritocracy. Um, it is, and it's, and it's a flat organization. And so, you know, you have access to senior people, even, even as big as we are, that really hasn't dramatically changed in the last 27 years. And it is a meritocracy. And so, you know, whenever, because I was good at what I was doing and because people that were senior were spending time with me. I was given the chance to do a lot of different things. And I think that had I, had I been, uh, had I ever felt stuck, I might not have stayed, but I never felt stuck. I always felt like if it was time for me to do something different, um, if I was interested in something, it, it, you know, they, they would, they would take a chance on me and I would take a chance on them. And, you know, you kind of, if you look at my history, you can see that playing out. So when I moved from finance into technology, I didn't have an engineering background. Um, you know, the person who was running technology at the time took a chance. They took a risk that I was smart enough to figure it out and then I would get into the details and that I'd be effective. And I actually made managing director in technology without an engineering background. And um, so that is a big part of the culture. It's, you know, get people who are really smart, very hardworking, who are willing to go the extra mile and give them, you know, take a chance on them, give them an opportunity to show what they can do. And that's really what's kept me. And, and, and in many ways, the fact that it's a meritocracy, no one, no one looked at the fact that I went to a state school as an example and said, oh, you know, this person, you know, they didn't go to an Ivy League school. And so therefore they can't do this job. That was, that was never, that was never a conversation. In fact, quite the opposite. It was, it was more about you know, the demonstration of excellence. And we do 360 feedback here every single year. Every year you're evaluated. Every year there's a conversation about what you're doing well, what you're not doing well. And I have been groomed over the 27 years to do the job that I'm doing, maybe even do a bigger job. Um, and that's an investment that the company made in me. And that's an investment that I made in the company um, that I, you know, I was going to stay and I was going to um, and I was going to figure out how to do more and how to grow. And I've never felt like that was a bad decision. And I've never felt like I've been limited. We've previously alluded to you being recently appointed a CAO as of January 2022, right? Mm -hmm. So it's been just over a year since then uh, at the time of recording and publishing, right? And a lot has changed. Uh, and I want to ask, what have you found to be the most surprising thing to occur since your appointment? That's a, that's a good question. What's the most surprising? I think the thing that, you know, I reflect a year later, and I must admit that I was intimidated when I took this role on a year ago. Um, and I think a year later, the thing that is most surprising to me is how applicable everything I've done up until this point in my career is to what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I don't see what, what was intimidating to me is I was worried I was going to see something that I wouldn't know how to deal with. Um, and that hasn't happened. Um, it's just, it, I mean, it happens at a broader scale. There's a lot more um, that I'm overseeing than I used to oversee. And so, 
you know, I have to, um, I have to be in a lot of places at one time sometimes, but other than that, there's, I really haven't encountered something that I haven't seen or that I don't know how to deal with. Um, and that's, that was surprising to me is that, um, you know, everything that I've done in my career up until this point really kind of prepared me for this job. Mm -hmm. I think that's a testament. That's really a testament to mobility and moving around. And it's a testament to rolling up your sleeves and digging into things because, you know, when you, when you take on something new, the fear of encountering something you don't know how to deal with is really um, at its core points to a lack of experience. And so every job that I've done up until this point has given me the experience necessary to do this job and to do it well. Um, and that, that I found surprising. <laughs> I think that's a great segue into the next question that I had, which was, uh, so they were speaking of fearing anything that you wouldn't be able to do, but then you found actually everything beforehand that you have learned in your experiences has, preferred, uh, has prepared you uh, for that moment, right? So what I wanted to ask, what was your biggest learning during your career and what has been the number one thing that you have taught to others? I think the thing that I would, that I've learned is it doesn't matter how senior you are. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are. If you want to be successful, you have to show up every day. You have to show up every day consistently um, and be willing to work hard. And if you're willing to do that, you know, there is no there's no promotion where you don't where you don't have to do that anymore. That doesn't exist. And so your ability to be consistent, your commitment and level of engagement is consistently over a long period of time. That's what's important. That's what makes the difference between being successful and not being successful. Never quitting doesn't matter if you've had uh -huh. a bad day. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you get a job and you're, and, and you're not excited by it. Um, but every day you show up and you do your best. You put one foot in front of the other. And um, that, I think, is the difference between success and failure. Uh, because everybody, you're going to be in an environment where you're going to be surrounded by people that are equally as smart as you. Absolutely. There was, a, there was a point in time where I thought it was more important. You know, like, who's the smartest? Who went to the best school? At some point, everybody's as smart as you are. And the only thing that makes a difference is uh, your commitment and the way in which you go about doing things. That's what people watch. Mm -hmm. That's what people want to emulate. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And uh, I wanted to finish off by asking, uh, this is sort of a follow-on from the last question again, right, uh, on the topic of advice. But this is more specifically honed towards uh, the undergraduates of today, right? What advice would you give to them uh, if they're either unsure of what they want to do or they're potentially looking to break into the finance world? Yeah, I think I would give people, um, I would be, probably give them the same advice, which is that you just have to be patient. You know, it's, it's, you're not always going to have the answer. You're not always going to know exactly what you want to do. I would say for years, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I got up every day. You know, I got dressed for work. I showed up at work. I did my job. And over a period of time, what will happen if you do that is it will become more clear to you. And so don't expect to have all the answers. Uh, you won't have all the answer answers early on in your career. It's really just a journey. And, um, you know, so just be patient. It'll come to you. And the most important thing is that you're creating a perception of who you are as a professional. 
And so people often, the biggest mistake I see is people get into a job and they don't like it and then they stop uh -huh. trying. And, you know, that, that doesn't really work in a professional environment. You'll, you'll, you'll get a reputation of being somebody who isn't committed or somebody who doesn't do good work or doesn't try very hard. That's a terrible reputation to have. It's really hard to shake too. You want to be known as somebody who people can count on. They can count on to do a good job. Um, and so don't, don't worry about finding the perfect solution or the perfect job or the perfect situation early on, it's just going to take time and you just have to be patient and it will come to you. Absolutely. Thank you for that final bit of, of advice there, Erica. And uh, thank you to the listeners for tuning in to today's episode. Uh, we will be wrapping it up there. Uh, if you're interested in these sorts of episodes, uh, we, we've got many more coming in the future, just like these. Uh, we've been recently trying to diversify our guests, reaching out into C-suite, into industry and so on. So it's very a very great pleasure to have you on today, Erica. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed meeting you.